legislative process in Kansas is an interesting numbers game that folks boil down to the trifecta of 63, 21, and 1. This set of figures represents the narrowest margin in which bills can be passed in the House and Senate, 63 in the House and 21 in the Senate, and the one reflects a governor's power of the pen. A few quick snaps of the wrist and a Kansas governor can veto a bill. Legislators have recourse. When Governor Laura Kelly vetoes a bill, as the Democrat did repeatedly in recent weeks, she can be overridden by the House and Senate. Republicans will need to corral two-thirds majorities to do so. That's 84 of 125 votes in the House and 27 of 40 votes in the Senate. At least two bills rejected by Kelly, probably more, will be put on the override docket when legislators return April 25th to Topeka. You can bet the GOP will respond to Kelly's veto of a statewide public school and college ban on participation by transgender girls and women in sports. The policy was a high priority of religious conservatives and is part of a national movement to slow momentum of the LGBTQ movement. Under the Kansas bill, a person designated as male at birth who transitioned to female will be forbidden from taking part in girls' and women's sports at school. Supporters say the statewide ban is needed to avoid unfair competitive advantages. Here's what Representative Susan Humphreys, a Wichita Republican who voted for the bill, had to say about the bill during debate in the House. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. You know, this is another one of the hard issues that we're dealing with today, and I suspect everyone in this room has made a decision on their vote. But in the event that someone is listening here or online, someone who is wondering if their voice is being heard, I have three reasons why we're doing this now. Why at this time? Some have mentioned to me, we don't have a problem in Kansas. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but that's not the point. Here's the point. One natal male competing with girls can change state records, can preclude scholarships for girls, can knock girls off the podium, can squelch, squelch dreams. And so we act now. Just this morning, our faithful staff went through every drawer in our desks. Why? Because proactive protection. We've never had an incident as far as I know in the house, but we act in advance. We wear hard hats in construction zones. In anticipation, we act now in order to alleviate difficulties later. Number two, the Keisha policy, which is on everyone's desk, defines gender identity as a person's deeply felt internal sense of being male or female. As we've talked about, there's no dispute, science says biology matters in athletic competitions. So in order to help Keisha policymakers and courts understand the threat to female athletes, to women's sports, to Title IX, we need to ensure that no individual expert or policymaker can misrepresent the truth that single-sex sport is the only way to preserve fair athletic competition for men, for women, excuse me. Finally, biological women, girls, our daughters, granddaughters, that is who is marginalized. When we don't talk about the issue, we need to talk about the issue. We need to find a way to include everyone. There was, of course, vocal opposition among legislators in both chambers. Representative Lindsey Vaughn, a Democrat from Overland Park, said she had a personal stake in the issue. 
That's because one of her siblings is transgender. Here's what she had to say. Thank you, Mr. Speaker Pro Tem. I stand opposed to Senate Bill 160. Uh, this issue is personal to me because my sibling is transgender. I think the most important thing for everyone in this room here today is to uh, hear from more transgender Kansans about, this, about how this affects them. So I called Keaton earlier, my sibling, and I asked, what would you say? What would you say if you had the ear of 125 state representatives and what would you want us to know? And they sent me the following message. I am a transgender Kansas resident. Every time these exclusionary bills are brought forward, it hurts us. We are real people and this causes real damage. You are taking away our rights. The increased rates in suicide and depression in transgender youth are a result of not feeling accepted or embraced by society and their communities. The state of Kansas saying trans kids are other is reinforcing the message to teachers, classmates, and parents to exclude them. Sports are a way for kids to participate and bond with their peers. Singling out trans kids makes finding friendships and connections even more difficult. Trans kids are just kids. They need love, support, and the opportunity to grow into the best version of themselves. So I share that with you here today. And I know for many of you that this issue is likely hypothetical and is viewed through a political lens. But this issue is not hypothetical. It will do real harm to Kansas kids and it will do real harm to my sibling. Instead of passing legislation that hurts a group of already vulnerable children, we should be passing inclusive legislation to protect marginalized groups. Instead of asking who can we exclude, we should be asking how can we create opportunities for everyone. And finally, as one of the women here who has most recently participated in high school varsity athletics, I would just like to say that this bill does not support female athletes. It discriminates against trans women. Trans women are women, and they deserve an equal opportunity to play sports in our schools. I ask you to please vote no on this conference committee report for Keaton and for all transgender Kansans. Thank you, Mr. Speaker Pro Tem. Over in the Senate, Democratic leader Dinah Sykes said proponents of the bill were simply selling hate. Amid all of the drama at this year's Academy Awards, the public missed an important and impactful message by Jessica Chastain, who won Best Actress that night for her portrayal of Tammy Faye Baker. In her speech, she amplified Tammy's radical acts of love and her compassion, which she sees as a guiding principle that leads us forward and connects us all in the desire that we want to be accepted for who we are. In my public service, I have always tried to lead with compassion, which is why I cannot vote for this cruel bill that will have no impact on advancing women's rights, but will absolutely tell the most vulnerable among us that they do not belong in our state. All Kansas kids deserve to inherit a state that has been advanced with an intention of radical love, and we are failing them by approving legislation that seeks to divide us and promote judgment and hate. And I would like my um, comments read on the journal. So Kelly vetoed a comparable bill last year, and this year's model in Senate Bill 160 was sent to her on votes of 74 to 39 in the House and 25 to 13 in the Senate. Neither of those totals meet the two-thirds threshold. 
In another move irritating to Republican legislators, the governor vetoed Senate Bill 58. It's the so-called Educational Bill of Rights for Parents. It applies to public schools, not private schools. The bill begins by stating the obvious. Parents direct their children's education as well as their moral and religious upbringing. The Bill of Rights bill, however, also requires teachers to share with parents all curriculum materials to be used in the classroom in advance. As always, parents can opt their kids out by requesting alternative accommodations from the teacher. The bill also affirms district policies allowing parents to challenge books on school library shelves. Representative Patrick Penn, a Republican from Wichita, voted for the Bill of Rights. He made his view clear when addressing his colleagues. Thank you, Mr. Speaker Tim. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I rise in the strongest support of SB 58. In the House K-12 K uh, Education Budget Committee, our amended language unequivocally declared that throughout that bill, that parents have not a right, but the definitive right to direct, quote, the upbringing, education, care, and mental health of the parent's child. To raise our children, it takes the, their responsible parents, not provoking our children to wrath, but bringing them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord, as you see in Ephesians uh, 6, 4. The onus and the responsibility of our children's upbringing falls squarely upon the shoulders of the parents to whom their care, their training, their nurturing, their provision, and their very lives are entrusted. Our kids do not belong to the state, to educats, to teachers' unions, or to the village. Our kids belong to their parents. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The House apparently heard what he had to say and liked it. They voted 67 to 46 to approve the bill. That's still far below the two-thirds to deflect a veto. Over in the Senate, which voted 23 to 15 for the Bill of Rights, there was bipartisan dissent. Senator John Dole, a Republican from Garden City, said the legislation amounted to an assault on K-12 public school teachers. In a slightly disjointed speech that dripped of Dahl's frustration, he cringed at the idea of conservatives growing the educational bureaucracy. I think that our, our, our society today there's, is, a, a, is an attack on, on public education. And I think the attack is, is, is misguided. It's... I think a lot of it is because, you know, if, if you, it takes everybody to raise a kid. You, you, we need to come home, you know, when you, we're sitting there and we're, we're worried about what our kids are learning. And, and then we find out two weeks later that they're learning this. And, you know, that we're not talking to our kids at night. We're not visiting with them. We're not, it's, we don't need laws. We don't need these rules. We need, what we need is we, we need to, to support our education. You know, we got books that are explicit. I think if you would talk to the principal or the librarian say, hey, I find these books offensive. Why, why are they in here? Instead of going in front of a board and, and just, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's just the, the, the part in me that we think that we have way too many laws, way too many rules, and we're, 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 we're going after public educators. And I, and I don't know, I just, it, it really saddens me. I, I get, I'm rambling and it's 12.15, so I'll shut the heck up. Thank you. Senator Molly Baumgartner, a Lewisburg Republican and vocal supporter of the parental rights bill, offered this rebuttal to Dahl. 
Here is what she wants Kansans to know. Um, you know, if you look at page one under C3, it states that the parents would have the right to request, access, and inspect all written and electronic records maintained by a school relating to their child. That's not a blame game. That's not an accusation. It's simply stating that a parent of a child has the right to make that request. And once they make the request for the institution to provide them access to their child's record. Um, in education, we call that the permanent record because it stays with the child as they progress through their education. When we say that a parent has the right to attend publicly designated meetings of the local school board and the right to question and address school officials during designated public comment periods. That's not a blame game. It is simply stating that that is the right of a parent. And we know that there are school districts in our state that have not afforded parents that right. We have heard in testimony from school counselors, from educators, from administrators, we wish parents were more involved. We are very politely outlining the different ways in which parents can be involved. The transgender bill and the educational rights bill were high profile vetoes by the governor and they will get much attention in the state house. It may have eluded some people that Kelly also dispatched Senate Bill 161, which would have allowed unmanned electric devices to travel the streets and sidewalks to deliver consumer products. Kelly cited safety concerns for that veto. For the second time, the governor spiked a bill extending to 36 months the length of time a person could maintain a low-cost health plan in Kansas. It's supposed to be merely a bridge to a more permanent plan, but marketers of these plans want a longer duration to hang on to their clients for a longer period of time. These plans, however, don't cover pre-existing conditions, and that's just not good enough for a governor who likes the Affordable Care Act and has pleaded with the legislature to expand eligibility for Medicaid to serve thousands of low-income Kansans. Kelly also vetoed a bill prohibiting cities and counties from adopting rules to forbid businesses from sending away customers with one-use plastic bags or containers that often end up blowing throughout communities. The argument is that local government should decide for themselves. Another potential piece of override bait is Senate Bill 286. It broadened lawsuit liability protection for doctors and health care providers during the pandemic with provisions that also were aimed at shielding health care workers from abuse by patients' families at hospitals and clinics. Representative Trevor Jacobs of Fort Scott Republicans said he thought the liability loophole the legislature handed health care providers was a disservice to elderly folks. He offered a sad personal analysis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker Pro Tem. I'm going to vote no on this, and only, only because of personal selfish reasons. Uh, Saturday, I came back from from doing a funeral on Friday. It was one of my aunt's funerals. My aunt and uncle were married for uh, 60, 60 years, 60 years and five months, because I called my uncle today to actually verify. 
My aunt was placed in the hospital with pneumonia. And she was tested for COVID and she did not have COVID three days in a row. The story was kind of highlighted up here already by another gentleman. And the hospital staff was kind of negligent. And I know that we, we heard that there, there could be lawsuits, but honestly, 80 some year olds and 70 some year olds cannot find a lawyer. They can't, we can't even, can't even barely find lawyers right now to do this. Are these gentlemen who are lawyers gonna do this? I doubt it. But, but we'll, we'll pass legislation to protect hospitals and give them immunity. But what about patients' immunities? My, my aunt, being 78 years old, was unable to get up out of the, out of the uh, hospital bed. And she used the restroom in the hospital bed. The button was pushed for, for 20 minutes. My uncle went out to the hallway, found a nurse, and they began to, as he had said, not treated her very well. Jim was irritated about that. You know, with a man who, his best friend's in the hospital, unable to do, married for 60 plus years, he gets a little irritated. He's like, you're not gonna treat my wife that way. The next morning, when he comes back in, Mary is now positive for COVID. Jim's not allowed to visit her whatsoever. Later on that day, she goes into a coma. He can't visit her, he can't talk. The hospital said that they couldn't visit for 21 days. Well, Mary had passed away in there. As I mentioned, I did my, my aunt's funeral. I'm not voting for this. And this may be funny for some other people, but it's not funny to me. I've watched through this course of COVID, and I know you, this body probably gets tired of me, but I've watched through COVID individuals standing outside, men who fought in the trenches now having to walk, look through window panes nursing homes shut down and, and families not able to advocate for them. Now there's a, a, a suspicion that there was no one there really advocating for my Aunt Mary because my Uncle Jim was kicked out. This is very serious to me. I'm gonna vote no. And I would ask that you would vote on the side of the people, not on the side of the corporations. Thank you. Representative Bradley Ralph, an attorney and Republican from Dodge City, said he understood objections to the legislation, but he was convinced it was sound policy. This was his analysis during debate on the House floor. The concerns about how people act within hospitals, if you act improperly in a hospital, in some fashion that the hospital doesn't like, and they say stop that, and you don't, right now, under current trespass law, they will call or may call a police officer and you will be escorted from the facility, just as they would in a grocery store or anywhere else. That happens right now, that's the circumstance. This particular piece on the interference is specifically related to what our frontline workers are going through that they shouldn't have to go through. 
this particular immunity that is provided in this legislation provides and goes to any doctors, any healthcare facilities, treating or refuse or not treating, treating in a way that you think is appropriate or not thinking is appropriate. This protects all the doctors. There's nothing in here that says you have to treat a specific way. So the immunities go both directions for folks that are concerned about who doesn't have protection as doctors or healthcare facilities. I, I'm gonna leave that at that particular point and just at this moment implore you that we pass this legislation at this point in time so that we can facilitate getting through what is now the remainder of this endemic in a reasonable and secure fashion. Veto decisions by a governor aren't made lightly. Governors with veto override tracks on their backs aren't a pretty sight, but sometimes that power of one comes in handy.